Before today's gospel lesson, we are told that the disciples are following Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. The gospel tells us that as they followed, they were amazed and afraid. When they all stop for a break, Jesus tells them for the third time that he must undergo persecution at the hands of the religious authorities, be handed over to the Romans to be executed, and then on the third day to rise again. I think it helps for us to know this when we see James and John this morning. It helps us to know that these disciples have been scared and amazed. It helps us to know that Jesus has told them all about what he is about to face and about what they are about to face. And in all of this, it seems pretty clear that James and John have not really heard Jesus. They are all bravado with dreams of glory. They declare, Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask. Their dreams are of power and ruling. And of course, Jesus hasn't been talking to them about power and glory, at least not in any conventional sense. No, he's been talking to them about suffering and death and only then mysteriously being raised up on the third day. After James and John ask their question, Jesus then asks them whether they will be able to suffer with him, which is to say, will they be able to share in Jesus' baptism and drink from his cup? And when James and John brashly declare that we will be able Jesus tells them it will be so. But he cannot give them what they ask and what they long for. Jesus can guarantee that his disciples will suffer, but he cannot satisfy their desire to rule. Later, when the other disciples find out what, what James and John have been up to, they become angry. We aren't told why they become angry, but I have a theory. And that theory is they get angry because they didn't think to ask Jesus first. Jesus then, in response, gathers them all together and asks them once again to reevaluate their images of power and hierarchy and success. Over the last few weeks, we've, we've heard these gospel lessons who are powerful and who lead are the ones who 
use their positions to control and dominate others. They act as tyrants and rulers. But Jesus tells them, will not be so among you. It will not be so among the followers of Jesus. For the disciples, whoever longs to be Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For Jesus tells them that he uses among them as one who serves. And in fact, as one who would give his life for the ransom, redemption, the liberation of Looms ahead of him as he heads towards Jerusalem. And so we're given a stark contrast. On the one hand, we have the disciples who, who share a pretty conventional view of greatness and power and success. For them, greatness is manifest through being at the top of the food chain. It's about having the most control and Greatness is secured through the ability to dominate others. This view of greatness is very much on display in our world. We don't need to look far to see it. We celebrate, in fact. We celebrate this form of power in our media and in our political discourse. We love influential people. We love the disruptors and the innovators. We love those who win and who triumph. I think one of the reasons why we love sports so much in this culture is because we love the clarity of winners and losers. We get to leave the ambiguity of so much that's life behind, and we can either celebrate the champion. this model when we look at our politics or our economics. But what about Jesus? His work life? Look at his way. Winners become bigger and more grandiose. There is, in some sense, more of them. And that expansion of self is really stable. This way of operating in the world is the way of Jesus. For Jesus, greatness is measured by the extent to which we are able to give to others. Success is seen in the capacity to serve, as opposed to being imposed from above. For Jesus, the transformation of the world will come from the bottom up. 
so much in the self-glorification of the individual, but in the glorification of all. But often in our experience, victory appears like loss and diminishment. It will feel like we are dwindling. And so this giving of ourselves can be scary because it will feel like we have less, like we will be less. It will look like taking up our cross in order to follow Jesus. It will look like indeed sharing in Jesus' suffering and maybe even taking his cross. As if to say sharing in Christ's baptism and drinking from his cup. Transforms the world, redeems the world, saves the world through the costly love revealed to us in the cross. Hovering behind Christ's words today is the cross that awaits you in eternity. The cross is an affront and a scandal to the conventional picture of what success looks like. Crucifixion was a death reserved for slaves and for nobody. It was a sign of humiliating defeat. And yet in God's hands, the cross becomes a manifestation of true power, of true victory, because it is the sign of self-giving love of all. It is an enactment of self-giving love. It is a mystery beyond our full capacity to fathom. But the crucifixion of Jesus becomes the source of our liberation and the power to change our lives. In the crucifixion, God truly comes to intervene for us. And the cross becomes the source of our transformation, for the transformation of the world. ourselves 
themselves scared. 